we had Marjorie Thrash. Marjorie's the director of marketing and a whole lot more for the OCB. Marjorie, what is the OCB? The OCB is the largest natural bodybuilding organization in the United States, technically in the world. Uh, we host more shows than any natural fully tested organization in the world. So it's a, it's a physique organization. Mm -hmm. Most of you would recognize that as a bodybuilding organization or bikini or figure or a combination thereof. And it's a hundred percent drug tested and drug free. So that's a big deal in regards to your position. We'll come back and talk organization in a minute. You are the director of marketing. So what exactly does that mean? A big piece of my job is social media marketing um, because that has been the leveler for natural bodybuilding. In history, the larger organizations have been untested and they have dominated the newsstands and magazines for decades. And uh, natural bodybuilding has been able to grow significantly in the last decade primarily because of social media and being able to access the segment of the market that is drug-free, that wasn't aware that there were opportunities compete fully natural. So when you say social media, does that mean, are, are you doing anything? What we typically tell or talk to our clients about would be retro marketing. So are you still doing any type of direct mail, postcards, flyers, posters, any print media or anything like that? Or, or is the majority, if not all of your time spent on social media? It's always important to diversify, but think critically about how you diversify and where that would time and energy and funds would be best spent. The majority of our marketing is happening on social media because it is a free platform. So, and it's accessible to everybody and it's easy to target people that fit your demographic. And along with that, then if it makes Some sense and posters and flyers and things like that, primarily at events where you have people present, but we're not spending large sums of money on mailing postcards and things like that. Uh, because what we do is very unique and specialized. So um, it's harder to find those people where they live <laughs> and target. So it's not like you're looking for people within a certain zip code or anything like that. And, you know, bodybuilding is happening all across the country and around the world. So it would be a big error on our part to spend money that way. So primarily through social media, but we also use email. Uh, we use MailChimp to contact our competitors as well as coaches and anyone who is signed up for our newsletter. So really, it sounds like you're, you're going to invest your time, energy, and where applicable capital in the medium that's going to provide the return. So for, I guess, a small business owner or entrepreneur, or even an executive working in a more established company, which have, they've been slow to embrace social media. They've been really slow to embrace email marketing, but the take-home point is, you know, find where your market is and find where you get the best return. And that's where you make that investment. Yeah. That's going to be very business specific. You know, my parents, for example, own a dry cleaning business, a chain of dry cleaners in Las Vegas. So, you know, doing mail, direct mail can be impactful for them if they're sending coupons and things like that, or, or they're 
reaching a segment of the market, like the elderly community, <laughs> the retired community, those people are less likely to be on social media. So if you're, you know, really just depends on what your target market is and, and who you're trying to access. And that's, so it, and that's where, and I think the, the organization by default, and then probably deliberately does as well is when you have to understand who your client is, who your potential customer is, who your audience is. And then two, if you're a niche, in this case, drug-free physique competition. So it's not just drug-free athletes. It's not drug-free anybody, drug-free worker outers. It specifically keeps drilling down deeper to that niche of drug-free physique competitor. This podcast is brought to you by smallbusinesstogrow.com, the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry-leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business, and start growing today. Smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more. And you mentioned a, a family business where it's dry cleaning and understanding who's who's going to have their apparel dry cleaned, who's going to have their clothes dry cleaned, and then what medium is going to reach them. And in that case, it sounds like from experience, you know, your parents do better if they do uh, some type of print media that gets mailed, mm-hmm. whether it's coupons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they'll look at, you know, how many of their customers are within a certain radius of their store and where it makes sense to market how far away distance wise and so on. So, you know, it's going to be very business specific, you know, but I know for us that we're trying to inspire people to compete. And so reaching people in the fitness industry in general is, but that's a very large market. So, you know, you have to be looking for people who are competitive athletes, that sort of thing that might want to pursue that as a next step or people who are looking to transform their physiques and change their lifestyle. So, you know, there's a broad spectrum of people, even within that tiny little niche market. And then your, so your social media and e-marketing. So a digital product sounds like the right vehicle for the OCB. Now, how long, how long have you been doing the marketing for the organization? I started in 2016. Okay. So six years at the Mm -hmm. time we're doing this. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at, do you recall, for example, let's, let's cherry pick Instagram. Now, granted Mm -hmm. Instagram's evolved significantly in six years, but do you know how many followers your page had in 16, roughly? We had zero. We didn't have an Instagram page. So that's where my job kind of started. Um, I approached Matt Shapley, who was president of the organization, talked to him about some ideas I had because I really believed in what the organization was doing. Uh, I had great experiences, but I felt like a lot of the great things that they were doing, they were doing all the right things, weren't being communicated with people within bodybuilding and in the fitness community. I suggested that, you know, we reach more people over social media, that having an, a more active presence could allow people to be aware of all the great things that are happening in the organization that I saw that differentiated and made the organization unique when compared to everything else that was happening in that sport. So 
that led to even with changes in social media and Instagram, being on the forefront of that enabled the OCB to grow significantly within the last six years, not only within shows, but also inspiring a next generation of promoters, people who wanted to be a part of this organization behind the scenes. So allowing us to expand our events into more states and cities and so on. So when you look at, so zero Instagram in 2016, how many followers do you have now? Right now we're at a a little over 22,000. So zero to 22,000. And for the people that have tuned in or are watching this on video, that zero to 22,000 took six years starting from ground zero in a lot of effort. What did it, what did, what does the effort look like? How did you approach? Okay. We should be on Instagram. We have zero presence. Mm-hmm. What walk us through, like, what does that look like? Like, what do you do to move the needle from zero to 5,000 yet alone 10 or 20 plus thousand? That is something that I am learning more and more about every day. Um, as I'm learning how the platform works and limitations of the platform and they are changing things along the way. So it's been, um, it's always been a challenge. I've never bought followers. One is I would suggest that you never do that. You will receive advertising all the time about buying followers. If you want to skew your data and not really know how effective you are in your marketing buy followers. That has negative repercussions. Not only does it provide bad, unusable data and analytics, which even if we look at, you mentioned your parents' business, them having the ability to analytically look at their customers and the distance from their dry cleaning facilities, they, they know the analytics that make sense. Like it, there's no point mailing this far out because those people won't drive this far. On social media, you, you need good data so that you can make data-driven decisions with analytics and buying followers and buying traffic really kind of destroys that. And it really pollutes the algorithm. Like Instagram doesn't want to reward people that are trying to buy their way forward. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, so you have 22,000, you didn't Mm -hmm. buy the followers. So everybody take a note, don't buy your followers, do the work. What's the work? Like, what are you doing to do that? Well, I remember the first time I posted and it was like crickets, but I, we didn't have any followers. So the first thing you learn is that when you're marketing, you have to have followers on Instagram to respond to and see what it is that you're doing. So followers are necessary for that. Start with the people that, you know, start, I started with the promoters and I encouraged them to start their own Instagram pages, which then, you know, they grew their circle, which led to their followers following the main page. So I was able to utilize the people around me to help feed into our Instagram following. I also followed competitors from other organizations that were already competing, trying to select based on appearance who looked like they might be natural and could be interested. And I started with the areas where we already had existing events. So at that time, you know, we didn't have any events in California. So following people in California was not advantageous for me um, or the organization. I started with people in New England and the Mid-Atlantic and the Midwest and the Southeast. So I really targeted those areas because I knew that there would be some immediate benefits if some of those people, a fraction of them might decide to compete in some of our contests. I I followed coaches because I know that they're influencers. (laughs) And that goes back to understanding your market 
in where your where your opportunities are. If right. if you don't have a presence in California, you're wasting your time and effort to try and build a network of people out there. Now, long term, it might be part of the plan, might be growth, but initially, when you're getting started, really that your time is best spent where your existing people are, and not waiting, not wasting your time in those other markets. Right. Start in close to you, your inner circle and work your way out and grow from there. Now, content wise, what are, what were you putting out back then? And, Mm -hmm. and what goes on that page now? Like what, Mm -hmm. what on Instagram are you using? Mm -hmm. So I started to notice what things triggered engagement, looking at, you know, what elicited comments, what encouraged people to like what I was posting And there were certain things that were more effective at increasing engagement and interest, but didn't necessarily directly lead to people to register for a show that day. So transformation stories, inspiring things like, you know, someone who had overcome cancer to compete, those sorts of things triggered and elicited emotions that made people feel connected and also made them realize like, well, if that person can compete, maybe I can too made it very relatable and made the achievement of getting on stage seem more possible. So I think that that encouraged people to follow and engage with the page so that we're a community, not just a place that's viewing a lot of marketing content, because I think that's a turnoff. I noticed, you know, when I would post contest flyers, they would get fewer likes, you know, initially the one that had people on it that were on the flyer and were excited about it would get a lot of likes or they would you know, tag the people, the marketing itself of the contests, the flyers, those are going to get a lot fewer likes because people are aware, like I'm being marketed to. So um, when it's very transparent that way, it doesn't really lead to as much engagement. Some other things that work, um, surveys, asking questions, uh, simple things like, should we add wellness? That led to thousands of, of likes And then hundreds of comments just on that one post. That's also kind of like a checker to see, you know, are people really seeing what it is that I'm posting? You know, maybe they're not liking the flyers and engaging with flyers that I'm posting, but they're seeing the content. So it's like, that is a great measuring stick to see how far our reach really is. Like away from just looking at the data and what the data tells us, are people really coming to the page and engaging it and looking at what's there? And so the and answer it, is yes. <laughs> and you're making a long, a long play. And that's like, I see a lot of business owners and in some that, that I've consulted with initially, they expect whatever the, and, and there's, there's a case to be made. You have to understand your demographic because your demographics really will dictate what platform you should be on. So the, the younger demographics by age are going to be on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And that's probably evolving and something will replace TikTok. The older folks on Instagram in the middle or uh, older folks, Facebook, the middle will probably be a bit more Instagram. But so you have to understand that. But then the, and and I tell clients that, but then the second thing is just because you're now, okay, we've identified the right social media platform. This doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And And when we talk to, like, I talked to a client this week that does some public speaking and presenting, I said, we, we never sell from the stage. 
Because if you try and sell from the stage, you're going to turn off the audience. And on social media, the stage is the platform. And it's interesting that that is played out. And you've, you've noticed that the flyers don't get the attention because people see you as a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Um, Now let's very aware of that. (laughs) And let's, let's dig into, so I I have a familiarity with the physique industry. I, I do promote contests and have since 2005. So I have an unfair understanding where most of the audience won't, but that being said, there's something the audience can't understand and there's an opportunity to teach them. So you shared, and we talked about this a while back, you had, you had asked, you threw it out there and said, there's a new category and we don't need to get into the specifics mm-hmm. of the category because that right. won't matter, but there's going to, there's an opportunity for this new thing. Are you interested? And that new thing was wellness. And so who commented and what were they saying to that? The vast majority of people that commented was overwhelmingly positive, like finally. But of course, there were people who were making comments that were on the opposing side, right? But let's look at gender. Yes. And um, this is a female category that we wanted to add. And it was primarily men who were opposing it. But here's the thing is women make up 60% or more of the competitors in any given event. And they overwhelmingly want it. That is the segment of the market that we're aiming to please. And so the men don't get to decide (laughs) what the women want, right? (laughs) Any, any, anyone who's married knows that. So, you know, looking at that, we had to kind of put aside those things, those comments and, you know, not totally ignore them, but, you know, there's some of them made some points that were valid, but at the end of the day, the women want it and you have to appeal to your market and they're the ones who are going to decide to register, not the men. (laughs) And there's, and so there's some gold in what you just said, and, and it starts with, having the organizational awareness, and this would be true regardless of company and industry, having the awareness to understand X percent of my customers are, you said 60% of the customers, in this case, they would be, they happen to be female participate in events. That's significant. The second thing you said that, and this is probably silver, would be the category is for women and the women say they want it. So you really have to, when you own a company and even if you run a company or you're hopeful to have a company or maybe you wanna get into contest promoting and drug-free physique contest and, and be an OCB promoter, you have to understand your customers. And if they're asking for a cheeseburger, they're the ones that would buy the food. You can't listen to the person that says they want pizza when they're never gonna be the customer because you're not going to sell any pizzas. The, the market said cheeseburger. The, and in this case, the, the market said, we're the customers and we want wellness. And you as the marketing director understand your organization so well that you said, well, 60% of our customers happen to be female. Look at all of these hundreds, hundreds of comments. They're saying, we want this. We need to right. offer this. Now, the, um, the interesting aspect of this is that a competing organization that's untested was offering this category. We were interested in seeing how the addition of it would affect 
our existing numbers in other categories, other female categories? Is it going to pull from those existing categories or are we growing the events by bringing people back in the organization? And we're just beginning to look at that data and the data is showing us that it is growing our events. We have our first contest with this particular category being offered in February. We're already looking at the data. We have the same numbers of women in the other categories, but now in addition to that, we have six women who have signed up for the wellness, which is the new category. So we have added, and there are women who are coming back to the organization who are competing in untested shows because it was offered there and only offered there. So that the fact that they're coming back is a win for natural bodybuilding and it's a win for our organization. What that means from a business standpoint is this, you, you have a set in Marjorie, you already know this because you've heard it before. You have a pie and the pie is this big. Okay. You're getting a bigger pie. So you're not taking and just shuffling the pieces of pie you already have. You're increasing the size of the pie. So you have other categories. And the concern was, well, we might just take competitors, take customers from over here and move them here. And that's not the case. The customers over here are staying here and you're getting newer, former customers coming back over here. And in doing so, you're growing the size of your, your market. And that's, that's so significant for any business. You know, if, if you could find a way to increase the number of potential customers, if you're any good at sales and marketing and advertising, in business development, you should be able to have, well, you should know the percentage of mm -hmm. prospects or leads that you can convert to customers. And you should know if I get a hundred more leads, I will get 13 more customers. There might be some shuffling taking place. Like there might be some women that go, that were frustrated in bikini because they weren't placing well or figure that weren't placing well, but those people might have either left the sport yes. had it not been offered or decided to go over to our competition. So in some ways there is going to be some shuffling happening, but hopefully that's beneficial in the long term to keep those athletes competing within our organization. Long-term it's retention. You know, it's in, mm -hmm. in, and we talk to clients about that. It's, it's not just how can we systemize advertising and marketing and sales so that we bring in new business. That's, that's one way to grow your bottom line, but the second question I always ask is, what are you doing to retain your existing customers? You know, like there, there's some things we've done in the fitness industry that takes training and coaching retention from three months to 20 to 24 months. And that's significant. If you can keep a customer for seven times longer, it's significant. When you look at the long play for the OCB organization, what you said is it, 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 it's very important. These women were either going to quit competing or go to another organization. And because you were smart enough to ask the question and listen to the answers, you're giving them an avenue to stay and bringing in some new people. So it's a double win. And in that too, so I want to I go back to something you said, you used a survey right? Mm -hmm. To determine if yeah. there was interest in wellness. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, that's so important to get into the headspace of your demographic 
and know what it is that they're looking for. Because otherwise you're just aiming in the dark. You're making decisions, expensive decisions sometimes <laughs> that could be detrimental. You know, if we, if we decided to add this and let's say our demographic was not interested in it, then it would potentially make our organization look bad by, you know, have offering this and nobody showing up or one person showing up. And then you lose that customer because they showed up and they were the only person They're like, this is a really horrible experience. <laughs> and it's, but you use one of, one of the tools you mentioned on social media was to do a survey. So you did that. Mm -hmm. The survey gave you data and then you use the data to drive the decision to add what your customers want. That's so that's simple and it's something in it. It's not, you can do surveys on LinkedIn. So if you're a business to business organization, you can do surveys on LinkedIn, you can do stuff on Facebook. So again, understanding where your customers hang out digitally, a survey is a powerful tool mm -hmm. and you, you have to have that data a month or so back with a local pizza restaurant now. Okay. It's pizza. It's yeah, it's pizza, but it's a pizza restaurant that's been open for 60 years and it can seat 300 people and they're on their third generation and they track and log and they collect data. And there's things like, they're like, yeah, we quit doing in facility seating after I'm going to make up the time. Cause I don't remember after 9 PM because our cost to be open after nine was this and our revenue was this. So it didn't make sense. So they were looking at the data. And then turning around and making decisions based on what that data said. So the, the survey is pretty powerful. And the fact that you, I, I think it's interesting that the actual people that would do that category of wellness said they wanted it. And the people that aren't eligible to do it said that it doesn't, you shouldn't add that. And how many times is that happening in other types of business and people aren't paying attention? Right. It, it is a good question. <laughs> when we, when we really did look at who was making, you know, there were some women who didn't want to add it, but you know, you also have to look at the history. Sometimes um, the sport started with just men's bodybuilding and later came women's bodybuilding, which expanded the platform and the sport, right? It grew it because now you have men and women. And then later on came all these other categories uh, that would be inclusive of other body types. And if we had not expanded to include that, where would the sport be today? So there's a lot of debate in our community about the addition of certain categories, for example, men's classic physique, right? Is there a place for it in bodybuilding? You know, it comes down to the fact that if we had not added it, we would have lost a segment of the market and it was a wise decision to keep it. So it's a balancing act between maintaining the integrity of what the sport truly is and maintaining a sound business model. If the customer wants it, you add it, right? So not always, but you know, if the demand is significant enough, then it was a wise choice at the end of the day, because it did grow our organization. And, and those are tough decisions to make because sometimes you, you know, it's work to add a new category. It, it's an investment in your judging panels and, and training. And uh, so that kind of decision, you can't just jump into, you have to have people that are on board. You have to be able to sell the idea <laughs> to your promoters and the people that work with you 
and they need to trust that the decisions that you're making are sound. And it's the Stephen Covey, I think, seek first to be understood, making sure that you, you adequately communicate to your team. If the promoters are looking at it and let's say along gender lines, it happens to be a male promoter. And he says, why would I add that? Well, the right answer is because here's the data, the category is for women and overwhelmingly look at the number of people that said, wow, yes, do it. I'm in whatever. And every time I post about it, I am seeing a lot of engagement. I did that this weekend, tons of engagement, just something as simple as comparing one category to another and identifying the criteria, even though it's all on our website, it created tons of engagement and the same people were coming out supporting it. So they're very excited about it. And the same people, same people who didn't like it were vocal about it. And they were men, which is, which was interesting. In, in part of that too. And I, I did see that image over the weekend mm-hmm. that you shared. And part of it, I have to believe is when you see uh, yourself having a problem solved. So in business, you know, that you should find out what problems people need solved and solve the, solve them and sell a good or service watching television. If you see yourself in the TV commercial, Hey, that's me. Hey, that's my family. Hey, that's my kids. Hey, that's this. Hey, I have that problem too. Then they might go out and do it. When you put that image out and I have to believe that the female market of competitors, I bet many looked at it. I'm not female. I'm just guessing, Mm -hmm. but looked at it and said, I don't see myself in that one photo, but I really see me in this one. Hey, they have a space for me too. Right. Exactly. That I think businesses forget that like you, even cherry picking the fitness business. I see a lot of coaches and trainers that share a tremendous amount of content on whatever. It doesn't matter what platform. Unfortunately, most, most of the content's them. People want to see someone like them being helped by someone like you. Mm-hmm. They don't want like they, that's great. It's an attention getter, but really when you want to start connecting and driving revenue via increased business, you need to, you need to have somebody look and say, Hey, that's me. Okay. I fit in. Hey, that's me. They can solve my problem. Hey, that's me. I could be part of that group. And I think with, with the image you shared, it did exactly that authenticity is huge and people know the difference. They know the difference between things that have been curated and edited and made for marketing to sell something and they feel manipulated. But when something is authentic, it feels you allow it closer to you (laughs) and you will give it more time and attention. You're more likely to do that if you don't feel like you're being manipulated. When you look at where you were where the organization was when you, you got involved from a marketing standpoint in 16 versus where you are now. Let's talk a little bit about growth. How many events were on the calendar in 16 and how many are on the calendar for 22? So when I started, we were around, it was between 35 and 40 events, somewhere around there that year, but that was a kind of a 
I don't know if that was a year that really was representative because it was the year of a major separation between our organization. We had just gone through something really significant that was harmful to the organization. So coming in, I came in at a time that people could have perceived, you know, where the organization was perceived as being very weak. There were a lot of opportunities that were untapped that helped to regrow the organization. And a lot of that was on social media because it was not, it was not being utilized. Now we're close to a hundred events. If you include all the pro contests and in the process, we've also been able to improve the quality of events by removing ineffective promoters and bringing in people who are potentially better that we could train, um, because the quality of the experience is so important. So it's not necessarily the number of events that's most significant, but also the quality of the product that we're putting out. The quality of the marketing across the board has gotten a lot better from flyers to the amount of posts and the maintaining of social media, because there wasn't a presence, you know, in, in 2016, we're really just beginning, I feel like, you know, we had our huge growth spurt from our initial entry into the social media, but now it's the part where we have to really perfect and hone those skills to grow further. So it's going to take more than just a presence. Now it's going to take engagement on everybody's part to really grow, not just what I'm doing, but everybody within the organization collectively together. In that, and that's why having the right people involved in the organization is so important and why having to as much as we don't like to as business owners or in this case as somebody that is an executive director of an organization at some point you have to trim the underperforming because it compromises the product being put into the marketplace but in addition to that you can't rely on those individuals to function as part of the team to move the organization or the company forward. Mm -hmm. It puts too much of an unnecessary burden on me as the marketing director, because my role is to make sure that events happen and bring people to the event. I can't in good faith bring people to an event unless I know the event is going to be well run. You know, we're continuously looking at that, um, looking at situations where we could, you know, work with a promoter to bring them up to speed and, and, and um, teach them some things if they're open to learning and getting better. We had, you know, some people that were going out as, you know, helpers at shows. We were sending people out to do that for a while. In some cases that was effective, but in most cases it wasn't, it really just didn't help that person get better at their craft. In some cases it did, but in most it did not. So were those funds well spent? Probably not, but it was a learning experience and figuring out. So once we know somebody is not effective, what things are going to be helpful to them and what is not, and when it's time to move forward and let go. Hiring for an organization, a company, bringing promoters into the OCB organization you have to have the right people on the bus or you're going to have to deal with them taking a seat on the bus that you could have had, have had a productive person sitting in. Mm -hmm. And and then it means you typically have to get rid of them. And it's mm -hmm. 
you know, Jack Welch back in the nineties wrote and required at GE. I think it was like the bottom 20% got kicked out of GE every year. And a lot of folks were like, that's terrible. It's harsh. People lose their jobs. But at the end of the day, how do you remain globally competitive? At the end of the day, you're talking about an organization that for whatever reason, went from 35 events to a hundred. If you want to continue to grow, you have to have the right people. If you want to produce a consistently quality experience, you have to have the right people. Mm -hmm. And, and that means you have to make the tough decision. Like, Hey, Mm -hmm. we're, we're not going to keep this person uh, or we need more people like this individual. And then you Mm -hmm. pay the tuition of we invested money as an organization and sent helpers. Mm-hmm. And we know that that doesn't work. Right. So you move right. on, you know? Right. And the, and it is, you know, now that I've moved into this position where I can make some of those decisions, you know, I stepped in and I can see things as to why they were a certain way. It's expensive for the organization to invest in marketing for a show that's not well run, which then at the end of the day, those people may not stay to continue and try another event. We want to keep them, right? So if they have an experience that's not good, they're not going to want to continue competing in our organization. So it's not personal. And we do our best to try to support people that we feel are struggling and reach out to them saying, hey, you're not posting a lot. I just want to check in and see how things are going. What do you need? You know, are you getting a lot of interest locally? And just kind of getting a sense for that. And there are some people who prefer to work on an island. And there are some people who, who it will do well working collectively. You know, you have to respect both types is, you know, because not, it, we all are working together, but some people may geographically just be kind of on their own, like where, where you've been for a long time, Ray, you know? And so it's okay because <laughs> that's what works for you. And you know, what works in your market. But you know, at the end of the day, what you do at your show affects all of us, right? Right. And everybody is accountable to everybody else. There is a level of accountability. Or what have you found to be successful in terms of how often are you sharing content on social media? I promote, I posted every single day for OCB for the last six years. And that's missed a day. Unless I was in the air traveling somewhere and some hours passed. I have posted every single day for the last six years. In that, I see that as a struggle for so many businesses. We have a, we have a course we sell. It's like eight steps to better social media. And, and we walk through, it's not hard. It, it takes some time on the front end. And one of the things that I teach is create 21 days worth of content, write it in a, on a notepad put it in an Excel spreadsheet, put it in notes on your phone, whatever, but create three weeks worth of content. And if it's going to be videos, create the three weeks worth of videos before you post day one. If it's still images, three weeks, when you wake up and you got 21 pieces tomorrow, you post, all you have to do is create something new every day. Every day you'll be able to share and it doesn't take long and it's free. If your business has a website, you already have the content. Right. People aren't. So the thing is, is that people aren't necessarily going to go out of their way to go to your website, right? You can't take for granted that they're going to do that. So a lot of the content I share comes directly from our website. Did you know that OCB 
you know, drug tests this way, right? So those types of things, you're reaching now people who've never gone to your website, but you're sharing that content. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Oftentimes you already have what it is that you need. You know who you are in your business. You know what you're good at, what differentiates you from your competition. And those are the things that you're going to want to spotlight um, and include in your marketing. But if you have a website that's content rich already, just mm -hmm. go cut pieces of it, pair it with an image or a video and put it out on whatever is the proper social platform for your business industry, whatever. But when you hear somebody, I want 10,000 followers. Okay. Here's what Marjorie did for six years. You heard what she said. I posted every day, pretty much, unless I was in the air on an airplane for six years. <laughs> That's what it takes. Well, yeah. Okay, where does she get content? Well, she goes to her website and she repurposes content from there. If you are going to say you want 10,000 followers, here's one of the routes to get there. And hey, by the way, it's going to take time. The other place to get uh, content is from your customers. They will provide you with great content. Our athletes post photos of, of being at shows with their trophies and all those things. Reposting that great content that they're providing to you is not only the most authentic way to market because it's coming from another consumer who's familiar with your business, but it's there. It's easy. It's so easy to repost. And if you tag them, you get their eyeballs too. So their yep. audience, their followers, their traffic is probably going to see that it, their image or video repurpose, and they're going to see your organization or your company. You might want to ask for permission though. Like within our organization, it's kind of understood like athletes love that extra attention, but if, you know, depending on your market, you know, you might want to ask the customer, would you mind if I repost this for marketing on my site, each business is different and what is appropriate. We repurpose customers content. They like the extra attention for their business or for whatever it is they're selling. So the other thing is it's free. Yep. Like none of these strategies cost money where we haven't mentioned an ad an ad buy at all. When you have enough revenue coming in and you have solid metrics that support for every dollar we spend, we get this many back. When you have metrics that say for every thousand leads we get, we're going to pick up a for sure 200 paying customers. Then you can start burning capital on advertising, but there's so many opportunities that are free but you got to do the work on a daily basis. What do you think going forward will be next? I believe that our promoters can do better. <laughs> okay. And um, so a lot of it is education and providing content for them to post. So, you know, unlike, you know, if maybe if you're a business that has, you're a chain of businesses and you have different people operating um, different social media pages for your business, this would all kind of fit that scheme, that model. The promoters of events are in direct contact with the people in that demographic, in that area of the country, and their reach is more powerful than they realize. It's more powerful than mine running the main page because they have all the followers that are local. So if they worked as hard as I did <laughs> at marketing, the organization could grow significantly. So a lot of that is going to be educating them on how to utilize the different platforms. Some promoters are better with it and more comfortable than others. 
some of them I've had to literally teach them how to use Instagram from the beginning. And now they're taking off and doing really well. A lot of the ones that I trained personally have taken off and they're, and they're on their way and they're doing great. So if everybody did that, how powerful that is, because now you have all these people who are promoting for your business consistently in different markets, that's going to grow us a lot faster, exponentially faster. And, and I think that's true regardless of business or industry, it's another free opportunity. Promoters in their individual market, they have their finger on the pulse of that market. You can make an opportunity to educate them and back to communicating. Seek first to understand and seek first to have understanding. If you can communicate the benefit to them and then empower them with the tools, like here, here's some simple strategies to do Instagram they're going to be far more successful than you will. They're there. Mm-hmm. Just like the company in back once upon a time, when I, when I was an engineer, I used to deal with this. Our, our factory employees hated engineering because most of the engineering department looked down upon them. And I would walk out in the factory and like, these people knew everything. Some of them yeah. worked at the company for two and three decades. It was the equivalent of having Google in the factory how did you guys used to do this? Oh, we did it that way. How come we don't do it this way? Because it costs this much money because tools broke at this rate because quality suffered in this, but they knew everything. Mm -hmm. So if you communicate and you include them in the process and give them some simple tools, let them have some ownership, it's powerful. Mm -hmm. And if they're, you know, if they're experiencing issues in their market, let's say competing events or whatever, if I'm aware of those, then that's going to help me help them better. You know, I can come up with creative marketing ideas and suggestions for how they can better tap their market. And probably with you kind of in that leadership position at the top, you don't just have their market where, oh, this competing event is new. Well, it's new to them, mm-hmm. but you can look at it and say, well, we have four other markets where we run into the same thing, mm-hmm. even worse. And mm-hmm. here's what the promoters in those markets have done. Here's how to do it. Mm-hmm. And now you can, you can empower them with tools that have been already proven to be successful and, and give them a leg up on the competitor. What are your top three must do's and, and what would you say your top three don't do's are? Must do is a SWOT analysis, your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats that should be immediate for you. It should be something that comes naturally thinking about what your, your business is great at and capitalizing on your strengths, looking critically at your weaknesses, areas where you could improve and thinking strategically about how you can develop those and, and lessen those to a certain degree opportunities. Where could you be marketing? Um, what markets could you be in? Um, where is there potential for more growth and thinking about how you can get there and then threats, which are your competition or COVID shutdowns, <laughs> those sorts of things and being prepared for those and knowing how to navigate those situations. That is 
that is huge. I mean, I learned that in business school. Okay. And, <laughs> and so I, and it, and it was something that instinctively came to me and I was thinking about it one day. I was like, wait, I just did a SWOT analysis in my head. You know, that's something you need to be thinking about. And that's going to be changing as the business and around you is changing, right? Because there are going to be new threats. There are going to be new opportunities as things evolve. So you have to do that continuously. Data-driven decisions, looking at your data, whether it be surveys, or your social media engagement, looking at your bottom line, <laughs> where, you're, where there are opportunities to grow and where you need to make some cuts. And third do is to remain authentic to your purpose and your ethics, staying true to yourself and your messaging and remembering why you're in business. Why are you there? What are you offering that's special or unique to the world, right? And always staying true to that. Because if, if you're not true to that, then you're uninspired. <laughs> and if you're uninspired, it's going to show in everything you do. You should be passionate about what it is that you do every day. It don't, don't take things personally. Don't take the bait when you're attacked, uh, whether it be on social media or someone speaking negatively about your business. Sometimes it's not worth addressing in a public forum and to shelve it because sometimes if you address things like that, you're giving it attention that it should not get. And it's taking away from the real work that you should be doing. So don't be distracted by things that are going to derail you from your mission. Don't put yourself in a defensive position. Stay on the offense, not on the defense where you're just trying to dig yourself out of a hole. So always be looking for where you can grow and what you can do and innovate. And that will keep you on the cutting edge. You know, they're going to be people who beat you to certain things or do certain things before you that you like. If you can be the person that's generating the ideas and, and, and creating some novelty or uniqueness or able to help your business stand out in some way, stay on the offense, not on the defense. So don't, don't put yourself in a defensive position. The last is not to get into negativity. Don't get sucked into the toxic stuff that's on social media. Stay positive in your messaging. And I think those are the, those are the three don'ts. Here's a recap of the top three must-dos and don't-dos from the executive marketing director of the OCB, Marjorie Thrash. Must-do. Number one, a SWOT analysis. Number two, make data-driven decisions. Number three, Remain authentic to your purpose. Top three don't do's. Number one, don't take things personally. Number two, don't put yourself on the defensive. Number three, don't get sucked into negativity. This podcast is brought to you by smallbusinesstogrow.com, the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry-leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business, and start growing today. Smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more.